Behind every success story, there is a long line of triumphs and defeats that remain hidden from others. These stories get condensed into journeys that minimize the struggle and wrap up with a happy ending. But we know that's not how life works. That's where From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay comes in. On today's show, you'll hear honest conversations about the challenges that Mark's guest faced and how they overcame adversity. Now, here is your host, Mark Azoulay. Welcome back to From the Ashes. I'm your host, Mark Azoulay, and I'm here with Carolina Guerrez, who's a serial entrepreneur, mental health advocate, and just a really an eclectic individual. What stood out to me about you is that you work with a lot of intuition, um, helping people to tap into the intuition that they have, and I'm curious to dive into that with you. So welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Mark. Yeah. So as we start off this segment, we want to hear your from the ashes story, right? Your failure to success story, how you overcame a challenge, how you brought it into your life. So take it away. Sure. So um, my story really begins, I think, uh, in being diagnosed ADHD in my early 30s. Um, I was returning back to school to get my master's in social work. And I knew something was off. And I said, you know what, I don't want to I'm too old to waste my time. And I wanted to do it right. And I said, okay, I thought I might have had some type of learning disability or something of that nature. Um, And after six hours, over two days, I walked out with an ADHD diagnosis and my world changed, really. Um, It, after being pissed off for about three months of that diagnosis and saying, if I only knew, Um, you know, that, that survivor, that thriver in me kicked in and said, okay, well, if this is the deal, then what are we going to make with this? Because this is, this is what we have to work with. Um, and really that set the stage for me in creating the businesses that I have now and really, um, applying what I learned, not only about myself, but about neurodiversity in general and how that affects entrepreneurships entrepreneurship and just the world in general, how many adults are not diagnosed, how many are diagnosed only when their children are diagnosed and all of those years of not really understanding or blaming yourself or thinking that there was something wrong with you when really it's just that we process the world differently. Yeah, that's a great topic. So can you walk me back a little bit and tell me what your experience was like when your ADHD was undiagnosed, like what your mind was like, what it was like to focus, like what were your symptoms? What did you, how did you live? I didn't know I had any, let's put right. it that way. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was so, who you are, right? Yeah, exactly. And um, it, because ADHD shows up very w- different in women than it does in men. So at the time, I'm 43 now. So, you know, 30 years ago, we didn't have the understanding that we have today in regards to neurodiversity and how it, how the variety of really what that uh, presents in the world with. So for me, I was, I I kind of <laughs> consider myself, you know, pig pen from the peanuts, that kind of like little orbiting like dirt. Mine cloud. wasn't dirt. Yeah. yeah, but it was a bit of a cloud of chaos, right? Um, I The sh- story that I like to share is, um, and, you know, I laugh about it now, but uh, my mom used to find my keys in the freezer when she would come home from school. Or when she would come home from work, I had gone into the freezer from school. I had the keys in my hand. I forgot them. That was kind of the chaos that that took place. And so um, I remember I was uh, in high school and um, here in Canada, uh, 
I don't know what sophomore, junior, like I know Americans have a very specific way where where those land. I'm not too sure, but it was grade 11 for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I took math seven times, grade 11 math seven times. And at no point did someone say, what's wrong? You know, what's, I wasn't a kid that, you know, skipped class or called out attention or was a troublemaker, which really that would have been what might've been thought of, of ADHD back then. Um, but something was clearly off. Um, I was always volunteering for stuff because I couldn't sit still. But I just thought I just get bored easy. I didn't really kind of put the two and two together. So um, when I was about 18 or 19, I just I said to myself, I can't live with this chaos thinking it was a personal defect. So um, I really started picking up every book that I could, every magazine, every blog on getting organized that I could possibly find. I thought stickers and color coding and a good binder was going to fix my life. It absolutely didn't, but it did give me some skills that would come in handy later on. Um, and really, it was just, you know, it, it, it's, it's difficult to, to put into words the disappointment in yourself when you're like, this is important. I'm going to get this done. And somehow that importance just slips through your fingers. Um, it's a very, very frustrating. And when you don't know what it is, the only you know lens that you have is to turn it inwards and say, well, then it's me. Yeah, you know, that really resonates. So I'm, I'm in recovery from drug addiction and I work with a lot of people that are. And I think of the parallels there of making a promise to yourself to not use or to you know show up at a place on time or whatever it is, right? And then yeah. to break that promise, it can very quickly turn into shame. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and it's not only shame, but the consequences of that, mm -hmm. right? The missed opportunities, the lack of trust that people have in you, the, you know, the shoulds can build up really quickly. Um, and also the fact that neurodiversity shows up so differently for everybody, right? For some people, it might be something very physical. For other people, it might be something very internal, right? Um, I know as women, we're conditioned, well, at least of a certain age, we're conditioned in a way of presenting a certain face to the world. No one knows that I'm moving, but I'm moving right now right? I'm my, my, my toes are moving constantly. If I'm in a business meeting, I, I present not as anxious as I actually am. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, you condition yourself to uh, fit into a world that doesn't understand you with certain coping mechanisms. You brought up uh, being in recovery, you know, uh, substance abuse is a big, a big, big thing in the ADHD community, right? It's a way of regulating yourself even if you don't understand what you're actually doing. Yeah. So what's the internal experience? Like, is it, is it discomfort? You mentioned nervous or anxiety. Like what's. So I'm, I'm also diagnosed with anxiety. So that's a co uh, uh, condition that, that I share with ADHD. But for me, it is, it's a level of creativity that very few people understand the racing of the mind, the, the, inability to complete a thought to the end. Um, and I, you know, I have a, my own podcast and I always warn my guests, I'm so sorry, because if I'm going to, if I get excited about the topic, I'm going to be jumping mm -hmm. because my mind starts firing off um, and I'm unable to complete where I really wanted to go with it. Um, uh, you know, kind of like what I shared with you uh, before we started, 
my style is very organic. It's more to cope with my ADHD than anything else because the reality is is that as much as I I want to stay on topic, that's a very difficult thing for me. Um, the interrupting people, I I that's one that I have not been able to um, find a coping mechanism for, um, and I think it's just. I found for me that internal experience very much was um, boiled down to shame, but also comparison. I'm just so different from everyone else, mm-hmm. right? And so that fitting in, that self-esteem really starts to take a hit with that. Yes, yeah, so the loneliness too of feeling like you can't really absolutely. connect with others. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's why for me, um, I've become really passionate about um, ADHD and entrepreneurship because it is an avenue for people that have this to not feel so lonely. You know, uh, 72% of entrepreneurs suffer from either a diagnosed or undiagnosed mental illness. And over 50% of that is a neurodiverse condition. So it, it, you know, it, it's kind of the, the area that we end up <laughs> kind of floating to because we don't really fit into a regular work environment or it's just too challenging the, the certain um, requirements that, you know, other people can easily manage to meet. Yeah. Can you say more about that? Because I, I imagine, well, I, I, imagine, I know that that is way more prevalent than in the general, in gen pop, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah. So say, say more about that draw to entrepreneurship or business ownership, leadership. So, you know, as a mental wellness advocate for entrepreneurship specifically, um, I think it's something that people don't actually understand. Um, number one, who's drawn to entrepreneurship, you know, um, and also why they're drawn. A lot of people, I think, become unwilling entrepreneurs, not so much because they're excited to start their own business, but because they don't, they can't find a job or they can't keep a job in a regular way. Um, but it also ties into some other, um, con- not conditions, but other um, factors that play a role in ADHD. So, for example, um, higher tolerance to risk, right? Um, it's, it's a risky, it's a risky thing running your own business and entrepreneur and, um, having ADHD, um, you tend to have a, a higher threshold for risk as well. You just seem to not keep it in mind enough. It's kind of like a fleeting thought, like all the other thoughts, um, at the same time, um, the creativity, you know, kind of having an outlet, the, um, erratic hours. So ADHD plays a big role in sleeping um, issues. So you might be awake at night and sleep, you know, not wake up till maybe 10 in the morning, 11 in the morning, right? It's difficult to find a job that adjusts to that. Entrepreneurship might be great because, you know, you're working well into the night. Doesn't mean it's healthy. But again, um, I look at it as more of a survival for some people than actually, um, uh, understanding what they're what they're getting into uh, with entrepreneurship and ADHD, but you know, entrepreneurship has a lot of risk factors that make whether it's ADHD or any type of other mental illness exacerbated, and that's why I'm so passionate about really bringing that message because I don't really think people understand the epidemic levels that entrepreneurship has when it comes to the detriments of mental illness. So all of those factors that I mentioned beforehand, 
uncertainty, um, high risk tolerance, um, not caring what other people think, Mm -hmm. thinking that, um, you know, I, I say that it's almost like we think that we're oracles. We're so convinced of our vision and what we have in mind. And you need that in entrepreneurship. But, you know, it that can alienate a lot of people, right? That doesn't make a good friend uh, <laughs> when when you're looking at relationships. So there's a lot of different factors um, that we actually don't realize how um, how that plays out in our lives. So entrepreneurship, we're four times more likely to uh, take our own life, mm-hmm. right, than the general population. Um, and so it's something that. Um, yeah, it's great. We think that entrepreneurs are the modern day superheroes and everyone's like, yeah, I want to run my own business. And it's like, really? Do you have the fire in your belly for not getting paid for six months? Not a lot of people do, right? And you're dragging your family along with it, right? So, yeah. Yeah, high risk, high reward, and and a lot of failure, right? A lot Mm -hmm. of coping with failure and failing failing forward. Absolutely. It's the only, I call it the club that you, in order to join it, you have to fail. For sure. Continuously. Otherwise, yeah. Otherwise, yeah. entrepreneurs like mm, we don't trust. Like you haven't actually earned your chops if you haven't had like a failed business or bankruptcy under your belt type of thing. So it's it's harsh for sure. Yeah, it's so much about coping with failure, hanging in there, right? And then decision making, which I'd imagine an individual with ADHD, like decisions are so quick. Right. I remember reading some study where they looked at successful versus unsuccessful CEOs across a million different metrics. And the only one that had any kind of correlation was time to make decisions. Right. The people that were quicker to make decisions tended to be more successful. But at the same time, then you got to look at decision fatigue. So, yes, you're quick to make those decisions. But if you're making a thousand decisions a day and we do. Right. That's why you see these these really successful CEOs wear the same outfit every day. Mm Because they don't want the decision of, of you know, what, what's going to match with my, my gray pants type of thing. So, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I want to bring it a little bit back to your story, right? You said you got this diagnosis. You yes. had like three or four months of just like, oh, my God, what the heck is this? Absolutely. And then you started to turn around. So can you talk about that turnaround moment? Um, so what happened was going back to when I was 19 and I had started really researching and, and finding out, you know, all these different ways of getting organized. Now that I had my diagnosis, and I recommend to anyone that even mildly suspects getting a proper diagnosis, because the proper diagnosis will tell you um, what type of ADHD you have, what are what are the skills that are your strongest and your weakest. Yes, they put it in the context of learning, but you can easily translate that to the rest of your life, right? So like, for example, my diagnosis spoke to um, my abnormally... Uh, Uh, obsessive attention to detail. So that meant that my color coding actually deterred me from properly learning (laughs) and paying attention, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And you think, what do you think getting organized? What's the first thing that people think of? It's that, you know, and you see these videos of the organizers on Netflix, the, uh, the home edit and all that, and it's their rainbows and colors and all that stuff. And that was the first thing that they took away from me. So really what it did was it took the skills that I had been building over the previous 10 plus years. It gave me the lens to look at them properly. And so all of a sudden it was like they were on steroids and all of this hard work that I had been putting into myself thinking I'm just not good enough. And 
trying and trying, all of a sudden made sense and I could properly um, channel it in a way. And then that translated over um, because at that time I was in school, I fell out of love with my program, but I had started a small business in the meantime, just for some extra cash that grew. And that is one of the businesses that I run today. And it's about getting entrepreneurs organized in their business. So I really took uh, something that was a challenge and it's grown into a passion because I really, and not a passion because I like color coding and, and um, you know, straight lines and, and things of that nature, a passion because I see how many people are struggling in the same way that I was and seeing that the entrepreneur entrepreneurial communities filled with this need I love the idea of being able to equip people to find the peace in their life that they're missing because I think that if there's one thing that I can describe ADHD when not managed properly is it robs you of your peace and anybody that lacks peace you know I think you're missing everything at that point Absolutely. Yeah, that, that kind of treads into the spiritual waters that you also talk Absolutely. about. Absolutely. An intuitive yeah. uh, mm-hmm. life. Can you say a little bit about that? Sure. So for me, intuition is part of my life. Um, it has been a part of my life for ever since I can remember. And it is a pillar of a program that I've developed for entrepreneurs in finding um help in um, the emotional impacts that entrepreneurship has that no one talks about. Um, that's how important it is because I think that, um, and I and I don't mean to be trite or, or um, naive when I say this, but I think that if we lived in a world where people would listen to their intuition more and be taught to listen to their intuition more, we would have a very different world to live in. Um, I think that the biggest disservice that we do as as humans is to um, be taught that we can't trust that voice within. Um, and I, I'm so fascinated with the topic that I started a podcast on it. It's called The Voice Within. And it's all about how intuition shows up in people's lives because I really think that um, that intuition is so different for everyone, yet we share it. It's something that we all have in common. Um, and I really think that um, when we don't listen to it, it's when we find that um, things start to go awry in our life. Yeah, it's a really fascinating topic. And I think I want to dive into it more around the role of intuition in business and how Absolutely. you can make decisions. Yeah. Uh, but before you go to the break, I'm curious, how does intuition show up for you? Like, is it, is it a voice? Is it a feeling? Is it a vision, right? Like, what is your relationship with that inner voice? So for me, it's a voice. And that's exactly why I named my podcast, The Voice Within. Because for Makes me, it's sense. a very tangible yeah. voice that I hear in my head and I have since childhood. Um, it took me many years to realize what it was. But um, yeah, and I think, and, and my tagline for one of my businesses is, my hope is that you're, the clearest voice that you hear is the one from within, because I think that, you know, my, one of my goals in life is to empower everyone to be able to empower themselves by listening to that voice. Yeah, I think that's, that's really great. And yeah, we're going to be talking about a break now, but I, I yeah. want to hear more about the techniques you use to let people get in touch with it, right? Because, absolutely, you know, I'm, I'm a psychotherapist and you said you have a social work background and there's this thing yeah. of like, hey, you know, be yourself, do what feels right, yeah, you know, yeah. and but there's not a lot of education about how to actually do that, right? Or or discernment. 
yes. or discernment, right? And I think that's super important. Um, but we'll talk about it once the break comes up. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So we're going to move into our commercial break. When we get back, we'll dive into this topic a little bit more. So if you're listening, uh, thanks for hanging in there and we'll see you on the other side. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C, dash, azulay, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y, dot, teachable.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome back to the show. We just stumbled upon a fantastic topic, which is intuition in business, right? And listening to those inner voices. And I'm really interested in this, right? Because just so you know a little about me, my background is I'm both a booth practitioner and a psychoanalyst. So with those two combined, there's like, on the one hand, the Buddhist practice is to get into those thoughts, to develop a listening practice of the mind, right? But then also to kind of dismiss them in some ways, right? And then psychoanalysis both talks about the intuitive voice, but also talks about conditioning or trauma or, you know, voices that could be self-sabotaging or procrastinating Absolutely. or whatever. So you mentioned at the end of the last segment that discernment is really critical, and I can't agree more. So my question for you is, I guess, one, do you agree with that assumption? And two, how can you differentiate between an intuitive voice and, you know, a self-limiting belief or a trauma voice or something like that? So I actually, um, I teach a workshop on intuition development, specifically covering these topics. So I'm so glad that you asked. Um, So a couple of things. I always tell people, if you want to get really good at your intuition, you got to do the work. You got to do the work of knowing thyself because those traumas, those limiting beliefs become filters with which that intuition comes through. So I say to people, if there are areas that are really traumatic in your life, 
you might never be able to trust your intuition in those areas mm-hmm. unless you do an extensive amount of work. And I'm not saying it's not possible, but as, as a psychoanalyst, you know that there's, you know, there's not a lot of people that are really willing to go down that rabbit hole right. because that is a rabbit hole that takes you in directions that you don't know. And it's not always comfortable. And, you know, it's it's a lot of effort. It's years of work, minimum. It absolutely, right. absolutely, yeah. absolutely it is. Yeah. And so when I when people come to my workshop, I say, this is a starting point, but this is not, this is the starting of you building the relationship with your intuition, but is absolutely not the end all be all. I've, I give them tools for them to walk away, but you have work to do on your own. Um, so discernment, because, you know, the example that I give is um, I was raised by single mom. So my heart goes out to every single mother story that I ever hear in any and every situation. And so my discernment out the window, it goes. So I, I'm honest enough. And, and I think that that's a key is being honest with yourself of recognizing what you're really not good at or what is a part where you're like, you know what, there are feelings that get in the way. And and I love how you said about your Buddhist practice in regards to those attachments, because I think that we get attached not only to the good, but we get attached to the trauma. We get attached to the sadness. We get attached to that grief and um, it's going to block our intuition when, when, when you really, um, when you don't do the work and you just kind of let it sit around there. Um, so that's part of it. The other part of it is asking. That's really important. A lot of people don't do that. You just kind of think that somebody that works with intuition just sits there and it comes. No, uh, it's not just a passive experience. Yes, it can be just a passive experience. Like, let's say you're, you know, you're crossing the train tracks and all of a sudden you're like, I need to boot it. I need to press the gas and go. That might be a passive experience of intuition saying the train is coming, right? But if you really want to get good at it, you want to ask the questions that you're wanting to work on, right? So asking for that guidance, right? Setting up an environment that you start to build the practice of quieting yourself to hear that guidance, right? Um, And I think... The third tip that I would give people that I, I think is a, one of the most underused ones is, is when you hear that guidance in your head, right? When you hear a voice, because we hear many voices in our head, we might, they might be thoughts, they might be ideas, you know, as you get older, it might be your parents' voice that you're like, oh my God, I can't believe that this is there. I never wanted to, you know, you, those times where you're like, I turned into my parents type of thing. Um That's their energy. That's kind of become part of your energy too, right? So what I say is ask who that voice belongs to because you'll actually get an answer, right? And practice. I always tell people start with simple things. Um, I give exercises like, you know, uh, traffic. You know, should I take this this route or that, that route, right? Start to figure out what your individual intuitive language is. What it is for me is absolutely not the same as what it is for you. So you really need to start to develop what that vocabulary looks like for you personally. Yeah, so it's really developing a relationship with your mind and with your intuition. And it sounds like to bring back the original topic, also with neurodiversity, right? Of Mm -hmm. knowing that some things are going to be unique. Some things probably aren't going to change. Or if they do, they're going to change really slowly. And it's more about developing a relationship with it rather than wishing it was different or trying to force it to be another way. Am I hearing that well, correctly? And I, 
Yeah, yeah. And abs- and I think the point that you brought up of observing your mind, I think that is delicious. Like I love, I l- absolutely love that. And I, and, and it's something that it took me years and years to be able to develop um, myself. But I now find that I've practiced enough in observing myself that I can observe myself when I'm being triggered. And I'm like, I'm being triggered right here. Right. It it doesn't mean that I can stop the trigger. Let me just put that out there. So, you know, <laughs> I absolutely don't have my life 100% in order. And, and I can say that I've mastered that, but it is a process and it doesn't happen overnight. But that observing, especially in business, because business is very triggering, right? All of our fears, all of our insecurities, there, there's nothing like biz, a business to shine that mirror in front of you and and really highlight that so um that observing has become has come in really really handy not only for um just dealing with relationships in business but being able to identify when it's my intuition or when i'm being triggered yeah i think that's so critical right um you triggered the great word. I think a word I use a lot is projections, right? When you're projecting your own experience onto somebody else. Or activated. Or when That's you're activated. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think uh, <laughs> I work with some, uh, you know, startup people. They say going below the line. There's a lot of that, right? It's like essentially when you just get like really tilted. Yeah. Um, and you're making yeah. a decision from that kind of rash emotional place. Absolutely. You know, one of the biggest things in my, in my practice that it sounds like, I'd be curious your experience of it as, you know, an individual with ADHD is switching from... How do I say this? Like generating thoughts to hearing my thoughts, mm-hmm. if that makes sense, right? So instead of yeah. like making the voice in my head go, it's like sitting and seeing what arises. Yeah, I'm curious yeah. what your version of that was uh, with your ADHD journey. So I would say that um, it's it's an interesting dichotomy because as the day goes on and I get more tired, I recognize that those thoughts take run run off with me right so what i've done is is i've cultivated a practice in the morning when i when i'm fresh mm-hmm. <laughs> when i'm i'm more um i don't want to say in control because i don't necessarily believe that we're in control but when i'm more centered than i am later on in the day and not so much has been going on mm-hmm. to really um create an environment to listen So I literally sit with my, you know, I have a meditation, prayer, and intuition session every morning that that I start off with. Um, I start off with prayer, I meditate for a bit, and then I sit with my intuition and say, what are my messages for the day? What is it that I need to focus on? What is it that um, I should do or I shouldn't do? Or is there anything that I need to know? Whatever type of thing. And I write it out every morning. And that that is my first to-do list of the day. Um, because what I have found is the more that I surrender into that intuitive guidance when it comes to business, and I call it intuitive strategy um, from a business perspective, the more I sur- surrender to that, the more in flow I am. And when I'm in flow, my time is about three times more efficient and effective than when I'm not. And I'm trying to soldier through and just kind of really push through and force things to happen. Yeah, so that, that brings up an interesting question I have, right? So when you're doing your consultation with these businesses and you're trying to bring in intuition, what does an intuitive business look like at scale? And how do you do it for a bigger 
organization, corporation, small business? So I don't work with corporations. So my my area is small business. Mm -hmm. Um, I find, though, that it absolutely could apply. Um, And I think when you're looking at it, an intuitive strategy from a larger business is it's leadership. Right, it's the leadership and how they take and and um, work with intuitive strategy themselves, and how they equip their people, um, their managers, and their VPs to work with their intuition. So, you know, the reality is this: running an intuitive business is not for the faint of heart, and I say that because it requires a huge amount of surrender, and it requires you recognizing that you really aren't in, as in control as you think you are, right? That those two words <laughs> are kind of the polar opposites oh, yeah. for a hardcore entrepreneur, right? And so, you know, you see these leaders that go to personal developments and they go to workshops a lot. So, and I really think it's for them to find, or I would hope it's for them to find that center because you're really needing to balance that. Um, going back to my to-do list in the morning. So, you know, I have a business, I have a team. One of my businesses, I, I run a team of 10 in uh, uh, team members and, you know, we have deadlines and we have things that we need to meet, you know, regardless, my, my clients aren't going to want to know what my, what my intuition said in the morning, they want their newsletter out at a certain time or whatever that looks like. Um, so it requires a huge amount of trust to be able to, um, surrender that type of, of, of enterprise and trust that the guidance that you're getting is going to help that because many times I'll wake up in the morning and I'll get like, as much as this is due, don't focus on this today. And I'm like, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. What do you mean? Like I have a deadline at the end of the week. If I don't, if we're not delivering on that, they're like, don't focus on it today, focus on something else. And I've now learned to listen because what will happen is I'll get a phone call at the end of the week or at the end of the day and saying, Hey, we're going to have to move that deadline because our part is going to be missing or someone has to step away. Like there's always something that actually is like, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, but again, it's that surrender. It's It really is yeah. believing that there is a, a greater plan at play. Yeah. I mean, I get chills just thinking of that. I get chills of that being true and also chills of like fear, right? Absolutely. Of letting go of the wheel and not – you know, trying to make things because a big part of my entrepreneurship journey was taking responsibility for my life, right? Yeah. And the first was business and income, but ultimately became like, what kind of lifestyle do I want? Who do I want to surround myself with? What is my life going to be about? And there was a lot of power and, you know, empowerment in that. There was also a lot of rigid control. You know, it was both. It was like, I need to make things happen. If things, if I want things to happen, I have to be the one driving it. And I imagine that's a very common mindset Absolutely. Listen, I'm a type to them. Like I love my to-do lists. I love to plan a vacation out to the last minute. My husband just despises that about me. Um, So I get it. It's very difficult. But the productivity nut in me really started to analyze when I listened versus when I didn't. Mm -hmm. And the results, at least for me, spoke, spoke, volumes. And I said, I can't, you know, I have to surrender my ego and recognize that there is something here, um, whether I understand what's there or not, but 
if I really want the best for my life and for my business and for my staff and for my clients, really, this is the direction that I need to go into. Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. And I imagine working with teams, working intuitively, it's also kind of like reading the room, right? Absolutely. Because it's being yourself in that sense of flow that you talked about and having mental well-being, having emotional harmony, having all these things in the workplace. So it doesn't feel like it's people like butting heads or grinding up against each other. Yeah. And oftentimes what might be the most pressing need might be something like you said, very small or even random. But if if that blockage isn't clear, then everything else is going to grind to a halt. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that we're, we're starting to see a real shift in society in recognizing the value of that. I think COVID has done a phenomenal job in really highlighting the importance of our well-being as a pillar um, and mental wellness in the, in the workspace. Um, and I, for me, one of the cornerstones of mental wellness is that intuition. Yeah, I think that's really great. I mean, some of the work that I do with companies is more around um, conflict resolution and team dynamics, group dynamics. And I say very similar things that like, look, if your group dynamics are off, nothing's going to get done, right? If that thing that people gossip about around the water cooler isn't actually talked about, nothing's going to get done. And the company's going to explode. It's a cancer. It's a cancer. It absolutely is. Yeah. 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 And I imagine the intuitive sense can direct you through things like that. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And and I also think that, you know, um, the intuitive intuitive side is going to take you to the scary parts, the scary conversations. But if we look at it from a well-being standpoint, those are the conversations that we have to have. And I think we're seeing that in the world now. We're having conversations that we should have had a long time ago and we didn't. Um, and, um, you know, naturally, there's a there's a part of the population that is uncomfortable with that because they are. They are uncomfortable. But it's like taking that splinter out. It's going to be it's going to hurt while you're taking it out, but you're going to be so much better for it at the end. Yeah. Yeah, I, I believe that. And I certainly hope that that's where a lot of these conversations Fingers go. crossed, right? Fingers crossed, right? <laughs> that, you know, seeing the shadow will help us to purge it, right? And help us to illuminate it some more. Um, so we're going to move into our final commercial break here. When we come back, I want to talk more about neurodiversity. I want to talk more about the spiritual beliefs and here, maybe some case studies um, of businesses that you worked with or your own company and what an intuitive workplace really looks like. So if you're tuning in, uh, thanks for you know listening this far, and we will keep you on the other side of the commercial break. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. 
This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C-Azulay, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y.teachable.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome back to the show. So we were talking during the break about how lonely entrepreneurship can be and the importance of peer support. And you mentioned that you run a peer support program, and I certainly want to hear more about. I think it's just so critical because when I talk to a lot of my startup guys, they talk about how they're always posturing, they're always selling, they're always yeah. pitching, they're always seeking investors, or they're, they feel like they have to perform for their team. They feel like they're very disingenuous, actually, most of the time. And, and a yeah. lot of them are, you know, especially in the beginning where they don't, you don't know what you're doing. So you're just kind of on stage all the time. Yeah. Um, so I think talking to other people, other founders, other CEOs can be really critical. Um, so yeah. can you say a little bit about your program and about, you know, what, you, what comes out of those groups? Yeah. So I call that the poker face, the business poker face, what you just talked about. And it's one of the modules. So I've created a program called Soul Circles, and it is um, about prioritizing mental wellness within the founder space. It is a structured uh, program where it is peer support and peer facilitated so that one, we deal with the loneliness and isolation, but two, we also deal with exactly what you talked about, that posturing, that peacocking, right? No one ever says, I haven't been able to pay my mortgage in three months, right? No one talks about all of these really scary things that entrepreneurship it forces us to deal with on an ongoing regular basis. And so I really wanted to create um, a program. So I don't run the program. I can, but really I've created it to sell it to um, venture capital firms, um, entrepreneur centers, startup hubs, boards of trade, because what's the point? of reinventing the wheel when we already go to these places for the support that we need in business. Well, let's make it a little bit more holistic, the support that you get. Um, And it's also a program that's developed not to be run by anyone else, but another entrepreneur, because the reality is, is we don't respect non-entrepreneurs to tell us what to do. Right. Um, It's like, yeah, tell me that when, you know, you've, uh, you've uh, gone bankrupt or you've lost all of your clients because your shipment didn't come in. Like whatever that scenario looks like, it's very difficult for us to listen to a so-called expert that has never really walked in our shoes. And I think that's valid for a whole bunch of different areas in life. Um, But luckily, um, with my social work background, I had a great experience in my practicum. 
of working with um, adult survivors of childhood sexual abuse mm-hmm. in running peer support programs. So I really took that. Um, and it was during COVID because I kept, I kept talking to people and I'm like, no one talks about how lonely this is. Like I would schedule picking up my dry cleaning in the middle of the day so that I could speak to another human pre COVID. I, I actually set up like social time to be able to nurture this, you know, this human side of myself, not in front of a computer. And so I kept saying, you know, I wonder why there isn't something that that helps this. There's individual help, but nothing really structured that you could, you know, find in different places. Um, And so COVID uh, really highlighted that because um, it's, it's unfortunately a really sad story. My husband worked for a very um, well-known startup founder in, um, in the tech space um, who took his own life in March. And I had been developing the program since November and I had had kind of that entrepreneurial fear of it's not good enough yet. I need better marketing. I, you know, like all of those things that came up. And when we got the news, it was like a dagger to my heart. And I said, oh, my God, if I had released this, could this have helped? Could this have made a change? And so I said, that's it. This has to go. This has to go. I have to start talking about it um, because so many people are suffering, right? Entrepreneurship has eight of the major risk factors for suicide are intrinsically built in being an entrepreneur. No one talks about that. You just see the the big numbers and the more funding and sharks de- or dragons den or shark tank, how you guys call it in the States, you know, you just see that flashy stuff, but you don't see all the, the pain and suffering in the back end. So I really wanted to highlight that and and provide at least some some vehicle to get some help. Yeah, I think it's a really powerful mission, right? And is lonely. And I, you know, I'm in Boulder, which is a lot of tech startups, and the guys I work with are out there comparing themselves to the Elon Musk and the Jeff Bezos and you know Mark Zuckerberg's, and that's what the culture kind of props up is entrepreneurship. Yeah, but those people are like one in a billion, right? Yeah. And most of this, I think what we've been talking about is like constant failure, loneliness, confusion, right? A lack of leadership because you have to learn it all as an entrepreneur. Fear, shame, yeah. you know, like you name it. Uh, the the other co-conditions that most entrepreneurships, uh, most entrepreneurs suffer from, you know, um, 70, what's the statistic according to StatsCan? Um, one in, sorry, what is it? 73% report suffering from depression at least once a week, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, uh, uh, suicidal ideation, right? Like there's the, uh, the stats are staggering when you really start to consider and no one, no one talks about that. It's really something that um, it's an epidemic. It is, it is an epidemic that I'm shocked we, we don't actually um, hear about more. Um, because it, it, you know, it, it people that take this chance and create these wonderful things—they're unique. You know, it is not an a true entrepreneur. I I feel personally, they're born. I'm going to be honest, and whether that's probably controversial, but I really think that they're born. That you're born with that creative fire, that 
you know, you rather die than stop creating. That's the strength of that fire within. And it is something that is not very common. And when we lose them, we lose, what could we lose? The potential that's gone with that is something that we, we you know, it's not replaceable. Yeah, I think that's true. I think it truly is a creative art. It doesn't matter what industry you're in, but it's like painting on a blank canvas and bringing a part of yourself into the world, yeah. right? And that's a good thing and a bad thing because, and I'm curious to think about this, a lot of the entrepreneurs I talk with, and this was true for me when I was starting my business as well, is over-identification with the business because how can you not? Absolutely. Right, like it, Absolutely. it becomes your life. Yeah. So the yeah. successes and failures are your successes and failures. And that's, I think, I don't know, I think it's what it takes in the beginning, but it also is very dangerous. It's a double-edged sword, yeah. right? It, I yeah. say you have to suffer from that condition to, to become an entrepreneur, but you got to get help for it immediately yeah. because just as much as it can make you an entrepreneur, it can take you out as well. Um, when you roll that in with ADHD, that's what I was talking about. It almost becomes obsessive thoughts for me towards the end of the day because you're so engulfed. In, so like I'm showering and I'm like, I, you know, voice memos. I'm like, hey, can you write this down? Like I'm yelling things to my husband because I'm like, I don't want it to all of a sudden be lost in the ethers. And then, I, you know, that idea is gone. I have books and books and books filled, notebooks filled with ideas of things that I want to do. I'm in the car. I'm, you name it. I'm washing dishes. I'm serving dinner. All of this is constantly flowing. That can, you know, that is a type of mental illness un unto itself, right? Um, so it's a matter of kind of putting those guardrails on that and really setting um, some boundaries and knowing yourself and saying, okay, you know, um, this is good, but when it gets to this point, what are we going to do? Because you, it's clear you need some help or it's not going to be healthy. So, you know, for example, um, when my house starts to be really messy, I'm like, I'm not, this is a sign mm -hmm. that this is going too far, right? When my eating habits fall off the, fall off the wagon, this is a sign for me, right? When the laundry starts to pile up, just because of the disciplined way person that I am, I know that. I'm taking that creativity too far. And it's like, okay, rein it in, bring it some time to, you know, to kind of contemplate, to sit with yourself, to put a pause to, um, you know, maybe it's because a project is going on. Sure. But like, what's the end date of that mm -hmm. kind of put it, put a timeline to it so that that isn't defining your whole life constantly. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. I mean, for me, it's kind of a mental state thing of, when I get too scattered, I know I need to slow down. When I feel mm -hmm. rushed, when I feel like confused, when I walk into a room and don't know why I'm there, you know, yeah. when I have these experiences of just like chaos, I'm like, okay, slow down. Cause I, I can be, I am hyper productive, but when I'm in that flow state, which you talk about, it's like, it's feeling a mastery. I feel like I'm dancing. I feel like there's like this beauty to it. There's like an elegance to it. And there's no mistakes. Right. Versus when you're working for the sake of working, you go back and you're like, oh, I got to read. Like, what the heck was that? Yeah, I can't yeah, believe I wrote exactly. that down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whereas, yeah, in the, in the chaos kind of scattered, that's where I need to center and refocus. But yeah. again, it's, it's in those, and this is, you know, I still made some mistake now, but made a lot early in my career was that is in those moments is when I thought it was the most important. Because it's when I felt like I was running late or I was going to disappoint somebody or, you know, I was going to miss their appointment or I wasn't marketing hard enough. I think you mentioned something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, like it's all going to fall apart. That brought up that fear and that anxiety and that chaos, which made it even worse, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, to me, 
my goal now, I think since I've turned 40, for me, there's two things. I, the end goal for everything is peace for me. Mm-hmm. If it's something, if it's a business decision that causes me any type of like angst, not stress, because I think that there, there's a, a, yeah, a, a fine line of, yeah. of a good stress, yeah. but angst where I'm like, oh, this doesn't, I don't want it in my life. Mm-hmm. And two is creating the scenarios that help me reach flow. Those two things seem are are very seem very gentle, but they're actually quite challenging in a, from a discipline perspective to achieve um, for control freaks. And I consider myself a control freak, and I and I consider most entrepreneurs to be natural control freaks, right? Because it it requires that surrender. But we, it's so good when you do. When you give in and you see that magic happen in your life, it can take your breath away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think I think as you get older, those experiences of taking having your breath taken away are fewer and far between. So if I can create a scenario where I'm I'm having that happen on a regular basis, then that's a win for me, for sure. Yeah. I really like that you're talking about that because as you're talking, I'm just associating to that must come from a place of like real self-love. Mm-hmm. You know, to not yeah. want that angst in your life, to not want that pain, to put yourself in environments where you experience flow and connection. Like that takes a really healthy amount of self-esteem and self-love to really fight for your life in that way, right? To cleave through those obstacles and, and develop a, a life that is fulfilling for you. Well, it's, it's quality of life at the end of the day, right? Mm-hmm. We work so hard as entrepreneurs. There's just so much that we sur- surrender and we give up for that. So why not make it like, I want to make it worthwhile. I don't, I don't want to be like miserable sitting on a pile of money when I'm retiring and being like, no one's around me, but I have all this, like, what's the point? I scored a lot of points, but I'm alone. I'm alone with like a big house and a nice car. (laughs) Maybe that's somebody else's cup of tea. That's, that's absolutely not mine. Yeah. Well, I really enjoyed this conversation. It went by really, really fast. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I was, I'm shocked actually that it's towards the end now. Well, as, as a wrapping up, I'm curious, uh, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and the work that you're doing out there? Absolutely. So you can find me at book, B-O-O-K, Carolina, just like the state Carolina, dot com. And that will talk about um, the podcast that I speak on and all the different projects that I'm currently involved with. Um, or you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, at book Carolina or meetcarolina.com is actually, if you just type in meet Carolina, um, in LinkedIn, you'll be able to find me. And yeah, I'm always looking for like-minded people that want to share ideas and, and, uh, you know, um, change the world in some, some way. That's great. Yeah. Very easy to find you online. That's awesome. Um, So thank you so much for joining us. If you're a listener and you enjoyed this podcast, please share it, uh, like it, put it on social media, give us a five-star Apple review. We're really getting a lot of those now, which is fantastic. Um, The more that we can get, the more these stories can get out to people and hopefully inspire people to make changes and, you know, recover from their own ashes. So thanks so much for tuning in and I'll see you next week. Another episode of From the Ashes. Thank you for joining host Mark Azoulay on From the Ashes. Be sure to tune in again live next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. 
Meet Triumph and Defeat and treat those two imposters the same.